This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the show, folks. We've got a fun strategy session for you today. Remote racing is the new way to race that we talked about on podcast episode 107 with Tridot founder Jeff Fuer and Vic Brumfield from USA Triathlon. Last fall, USA Triathlon put on the inaugural remote race with a bunch of us from the Tridot team and a whole bunch of our ambassadors, athletes, and podcast listeners jumping into the fun to check it out. And we had a blast. So after that successful launch, of the remote racing platform, there are more and more remote races being added to the calendar, and I encourage all of you to head to remoteracing.com, check out the spring uh, uh, kind of sprint triathlon series coming up, and jump into a remote race yourself. So before this preseason remote racing series takes off, uh, we, we wanted to dedicate an episode to share all of the tips and best practices we have to execute a successful remote race. So I've got a few key TriDot team members here today to help us prepare for our next remote race. Our first guest is predictive fitness software engineer, Corey Gackenheimer. Corey is a full stack software engineer from Warsaw, Indiana. He's worked as a software developer for over 15 years and came on board full time with the TriDot dev team at the start of 2021. As a TriDot ambassador, he finished his first Ironman at Ironman Florida in 2020. And Corey, on this episode in particular, I, I have to congratulate you on just a gnarly fourth place overall finish at the USA Triathlon Remote National Championships, the first ever remote race last fall. Uh, you know, now you and I had some internal smack talk that week uh, on on who would win. We, we thought it might be close between my runability, your swimability, uh, and you beat me, Corey. You beat me good by, by, by a solid three minutes and 28 seconds. So so I, I just have to start off today by saying, way to go, friend. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, yeah, I had an absolute blast uh, when we competed in that remote race. It was awesome having that friendly rivalry, uh, knowing that you were pushing me uh, remotely. Uh, I knew I would have to dig deep off the bike. Uh, I'm excited to get to talk to you today about uh, remote racing and some of the features and just strategies for remote racing. Also joining us in the remote fun is Coach Jeff Rains. Jeff is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman U certified coach who has a Master's of Science in Exercise Physiology and was a D1 collegiate runner. He's over 50 Ironman finishes to his credit and has coached hundreds of athletes to the Ironman finish line. Jeff, how's it going, man? Hey, I want to join in on the smack talk. So uh, I can't wait to smoke you boys in the next remote race coming up very soon. That's the problem, Jeff. That's why there's no smack talk is because you will smoke us. Like there's just, <laughs> right? there's nothing, there's no talk to do. It's just, it's, just, it's a foregone conclusion. You can have uh, it. The, the reason Corey got fourth and I got seventh instead of us getting fifth and eighth is because Jeff Rains was not in on that particular race. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that uh, uh, soon enough. I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll treat the show like any good workout. We'll roll through our warm up question, settle in for our main set topic and then wind things down with our cool down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. Most of the time, we head into a workout with the clothing, the gear, and the nutrition we need to crush the session and walk away victorious. But every so often, we find ourselves at the start of a session without a key item and thus are forced to improvise or do without. Corey, Jeff, what was a time you forgot something important that you needed, and what did you do to get by in that workout session? Jeff Rains, let's start with you. Well, besides the easy answer of maybe forgetting swim jammers and, and having to complete that swim workout maybe in you know normal basketball shorts or something like that. Been been there, done that, yeah, my that's, friend. Yeah, that's yep. too easy, right? Um, <clears throat> I'll share a quick story. One time I was out, uh, I was racing uh, Texas 70.3 in Galveston, Texas, um, half Ironman. Uh, I had a friend drop me off. Well, I left my helmet and my wetsuit in his car. Um, mm. So turns out he went to find coffee. He, he wasn't answering his phone. He was, <laughs> he was not anywhere near the race site at that point. So that's when panic set in and 
Um, yeah. He, he finally answered his phone, but he couldn't get anywhere near transition. Um, and transition was about to close. So I just put on some shoes. I ran over a mile to his car. I finally found him, got my stuff, had to run uh, over a mile back to transition with, you know, a wetsuit and a helmet. And, um, and, and, and that year was very hot and muggy. Um, finally got down to the swim dock. Um, uh, my age group was jumping in the water. Um, and, and at that race, you have four minutes to jump off of a big pier. Um, so, so the wave before you goes, and then you, your wave has four minutes to get in tread water for four minutes, a deep water start, all that stuff. So by the time I got my wetsuit on and we all know how hard it is sweaty to get a wetsuit on, I jumped in and, and I had less than a minute to spare. Um, so, so it all worked out, but, uh, it was a very chaotic, uh, adrenaline pumped morning. Corey Gackenheimer, what is this answer for you? Yeah, so this one's pretty relevant for this episode since it's more of a technical miss. Um, I was going to hop on a Zwift race, and I was already running late. And so two things bad happened. Uh, one, as soon as I opened up Zwift, it was time to update, which always oh, happens at the worst time. Yep. <laughs> so I was I was toast. Uh, didn't think I'd be able to make it, but I, I could still maybe squeeze it in. And then uh, right as, I, as it opened, my... Bluetooth uh, would not connect to my pedals. I didn't have my amp plus dongle already plugged in. So I had to like reach across my bike and find the dongle, plug it in, uh, barely got it, uh, got to the race start line right as they were starting. uh, I was clipping in. And uh, if you've all done a Zwift race, you know that that first like minute is everybody's riding at a thousand watts. So uh, <laughs> I just ended up doing a, a solo lap of Richmond instead of racing. But uh, yeah, so that was my my technical miss uh, on the race day. Corey, can we talk about how I'm thankful for Zwift and I'm thankful for kind of the Ant plus dongle um, specifically, because without that, the word dongle would not be in my uh, regular vocabulary. <laughs> and I, I think the word dongle is just a fantastic word, a, a underrated word in the, uh, the the indoor pain cave uh, ver- vernacular, in, in my opinion. You know what we need, Andrew? We need an entire podcast episode with things... Talking about dongles? With things that triathletes <laughs> say that only triathletes would appreciate and understand. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. And plus dongle is definitely one of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, not not mad about where your head is at there, Jeff. Not mad at all. Um, so I, I mean, my, my story for this is actually fairly recent. Um, I bought one of those indoor rocker plates for my bike. When you have one of those rocker plates, you know, you get your trainer on it, you get your bike on it. Well, a, a indoor trainer, uh, I, I have the tax flux, um, the, the flywheel is on one side of the trainer. And so you put the trainer in the center of the rocker plate and most of the weight of the trainer is on one side. Um, and so the, the plate on its own is going to, uh, lean more that way than the other way. So what you have to do is you have to just put it you just take a dumbbell. Um, so I, I have an eight pound dumbbell that sits on the other side of the rocker plate and it balances out the, uh, the, the plate. Well, I, um, I had a, a workout where I just forgot to grab the weight. And so I'm leaning to the left, uh, slightly the entire time. And I, I could not, you know, with every pedal stroke, every right side pedal stroke, you know, I would, I would kind of get upright again. And then every left side pedal stroke, I would lean way over to the left. Maybe you'll be really prepared for a velodrome now, now that you're <laughs> leaning to the left the whole time. A quality velodrome joke here for the podcast. Uh, guys, we're going to throw this question out to you because I know uh, in all of your swim, bike, run, strength training, there have definitely been times where you've gone into a workout forgetting a crucial piece of gear, and I want to hear your stories. Make sure you are a part of the I Am Trot Facebook group. Uh, you know, Find the post. Uh, every Monday when our new show drops, we throw out a post uh, asking you guys to answer our warm-up question, uh, and I'm excited to hear your stories. Uh, this is probably an episode where uh, we'll, we'll take, you know, eight, nine, ten of the best stories and share them on a future podcast cooldown. Um, so uh, head to I'm trying to Facebook group, find our post today and let us know what your story is. On to the main set going in three, two, one. Ketones are nature's super fuel and Delta G in all four strengths rapidly induces deep ketosis in just 20 minutes. Oxford University professor Kieran Clark, founder and CEO of T Delta S Global, led the effort to develop Delta G, and she has been teaching us about the performance and health benefits of drinking the revolutionary Oxford ketone ester. 
Many of us on the TriDot team are already using Delta G Performance and Tactical for our training and racing, and now we are adding Delta G Coffee Booster to our morning routine. Ketones and caffeine work incredibly well together, and I love the energy boost and mental clarity the combo provides. If you want to experience the feeling of a ketone-fueled training session or a ketone-boosted cup of morning coffee, head to deltagketones.com and try Delta G for yourself. At deltagketones.com, they even offer free 15-minute one-on-one consultations where you can learn more about their products, including Delta H and the brand-new Delta Gold Coffee Booster. So again, that's deltagketones.com to learn more. And remember, to use the code TRYDOT20 to get 20% off your super-fueled Delta G ketone drinks. We're talking about remote racing here in the main set today. Corey is one of these software engineers who helped design remote racing, and Coach Jeff is well-versed in coaching his athletes through optimizing your remote racing setup. So lots of good insight coming today on how to rock your remote race. Uh, guys, it's wild. I mean, when I hit the pool to do my remote racing swim, it was an Olympic distance, and so I was time-trialing 1,500 yards in the pool. And, Corey, you told me ahead of time, the middle 500 is the worst part. And, oh, my gosh, you were so right. The middle 500 just it hurt so bad. Uh, but but here's the thing. Even though I was in the pool by myself and I, I couldn't see anyone else that I was competing against, knowing it was a race, just it, it changed everything. I kept the hammer down and I didn't let up and I put forth an effort that I was proud of. And then the same thing happened on the bike and run. I mean, outside riding and running, I dug deep knowing that I was racing other people and knowing I had smack talk with Corey all week and he was out there somewhere doing his bike and run too. Um, and I dug so deep that, that I definitely jacked up my back, uh, pushing hard on that 10 K. Uh, I'm still recovering from that a little bit. Uh, but that's another discussion for, for another time, probably with Dr. BJ Lieber. Um, so, so Corey, uh, just what, what was your experience doing that very first remote race last fall? Yeah, it was great. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, definitely knowing that there were others out there racing when that window opened, it br- brings the intensity up. So the swim, yeah. I had a great swim, uh, uh, doing an Olympic distance for the bike run that takes a bit more time than just a sprint. So having to fit that in and I was in between two race rehearsals for clash Daytona. So kind of had to fit it midweek in between two of those. Uh, so I waited till that fit my training schedule and did my bike and run then, uh, that went pretty well. So just hopped on, did my weigh in, which we'll talk about in a little bit, hopped right on the bike, uh, did that on Ruby. Uh, which was the actual Milwaukee course and having raced Milwaukee in August. Uh, my legs definitely remembered that climb uh, over the overpass. Uh, felt very similar um, and uh, definitely taxed me in, in the same way. Uh, off the bike is always interesting. Um, here where I'm at in Indiana, it's a little colder than in Texas. Yeah, so, I'll uh, say it, so. T2 looks a little bit different in November than it does <laughs> in, in August. Uh, so had to have my cold, cold weather running gear set out, uh, and layers there because, you know, you warm up as you run, but, uh, wanted to make sure I was warm at warm enough to run. So I had to make sure that was ready to go. Um, but yeah, got out on the run and was remotely trying to chase you down, uh, knowing that you'd have a great run and I would have to push really hard to try to beat you. So, but it was a great race. Yeah, and I I had the the second best run split of the Olympic distance participants, so I, I at least uh, coming in seventh place can hang my hat on that. The only guy that had a faster run split was the guy who won, uh, and he just had he had an amazing swim bike and run. Uh, he beat everybody by a lot, so congrats to him. Now, Jeff, at the time that all of this was happening in mid November uh, of twenty twenty one. You were days away. I mean, literally days away from racing Ironman Arizona. So, so you did not participate personally, uh, but many of your athletes did. And I know that you helped them prepare for the event. Uh, just what, what did you hear from them? How did their races and their experience with remote racing go? They absolutely loved it. I encouraged my whole crew to race because many of us had actually raced the Ironman VR races during the whole COVID year. And yeah. you know, I, I wanted my athletes to, to you know, do the race, um, the, the remote nationals and, and just to see how it kind of stacked up with the other virtual racing events. And now having, you know, I know we're going to dive into this a little bit, but having equalized results and accurate and fair results based on age and gender and even your location 
communication and weather. Um, remote racing was a whole other level, and and my athletes yeah. absolutely loved it. Corey, I, I already mentioned uh, podcast one hundred and seven, remote racing, real racing, real results. Uh, where one of the talking points was outlining the differences between virtual racing formats uh, that that athletes are already familiar with. Uh, and Jeff, you actually just talked about the Ironman vir- virtual racing series that they had put on. Uh, there's some differences between those formats and remote racing. Um, since that episode exists, you know, I, I don't want to lose too much time today covering this again, uh, but I do feel like it's important for folks that have not heard that episode um, to, to hear this. So, so what was designed into the platform for remote racing that separates it from virtual racing and makes it m- more real racing? Yeah. Um, and I think we've already touched on this to some degree, but the, the main thing to mention there is every decision we make when it comes to, to building out remote racing is we're very mindful of fairness. Uh, we, we want it to be fair so that it can be real. Uh, and so, from the beginning of a remote race, when you do your virtual check-in, uh, you're validating your identity, your weight, um, you know, and when we post-process all of the data, we can flag questionable racers or race results, and then we make it fair by normalizing our environmental conditions. Uh, so that takes into account your location, your current temperature, uh, and we can also level the playing field, uh, in a way that others don't by taking into account the data that comes in. Uh, so we can take accuracy measurements, known published accuracy measurements of uh, power meters and smart trainers. We can ad- we adjust power based upon that to equalize or to make it fair. Um, and then we give everybody the same virtual bike. So, you know, in, in Zwift, for example, you can have fancier bikes that might go faster because they have less drag or or better wheels. Everybody gets the same bike in a remote race. Uh, okay. So the same drag, same rolling resistance. Um, so that's another part of the fairness. And, and, and talking to like the power meter accuracy in, in particular. So that that's like if um, if I have a more expensive power meter and it's and we know that that number is is just extremely accurate and somebody else is racing with a, a, a less accurate power meter it's just going to adjust the results on the back end knowing the the power that was produced by those two athletes and knowing the margin of error for that data is that correct that's right yeah so we'll adjust based off that margin of error so okay. yeah the very best ones they're they're going to be plus or minus one percent is their published uh difference and that's our baseline so everything's based off off of that and okay and the difference is factored in from that other things that we take into account, uh, like I said, environmental conditions, other things, we, we want to make it fair. Uh, so for an outdoor bike, you're not allowed to go a single direction. Uh, so you can't do your, your 40K with a tailwind the whole way, although yeah. that would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not fair. So we're not doing that. Um, run, same thing. We don't want somebody to go downhill an entire direction. So we make sure that those should be out and backs or loops. So they start in the same place and they don't have net elevation loss. Um, so all of those different protocols that we have in place really are what go into the realness of remote racing, uh, and fairness. And so that's what we do, uh, so that people don't feel cheated when they finish the race. So Jeff, you, you do a lot of things with your coached athletes to keep the season kind of fun and engaging and, and keep the accountability high. Um, you know, you, your crew does group Ruby rides uh, together during the week. Um, you know, I, I know you guys, uh, a lot of your athletes will attend the Zwift Tridot ride on Saturday. Um, you know, you, you'll do a few in-person team races throughout the season. Um, you, you'll do midweek uh, video chats to learn about a, a different topic of the sport. So, so as, as a coach, trying to keep your own athletes involved and motivated um you know you're always looking for good opportunities for your athletes what excites you about the possibility of having your crew do a remote race or two or three or more throughout the tri-season man there there's there's a ton of, of really cool things um about this and and yeah I, I try to keep the the accountability high the morale high that team aspect um you know the great thing about remote racing is is you know, if we're, we're busy with, with life and work, if it's a busy season, you know, a lot of athletes come to me, like I I only have this two month window throughout the year where I could get a race in, I could actually travel, you know, work isn't quite as stressful. Well, remote racing, you can race 
all year round, right? Because we don't have to allocate an entire week to travel and funds and all that. So they're also great just to break up your season. You get to race in the convenience of your own home. And also, if you don't have an on-site race, you know, coming up anytime soon. Corey, I want to talk about just what it's like going through the flow and the process of a remote race, uh, because it, it, there's a lot of similarities to an in-person race. You know, you, you register, you put the race on your season planner, you, you put it on, onto your training, or, or, you know, your training starts to prep you for the race. You, you get your gear and your nutrition ready and, and you go out and you just burn into the ground like you would on race day in person. Uh, the primary difference, other than not being on site with other athletes, is, is instead of checking in and getting body marked and racking your bike and finding an available porta potty, you know, all the things you're used to doing on race day, instead, to prep for the race itself, you, you have to connect your devices, you have to make sure that they're charged and ready for action, that, that there's the weigh in process. Um, so, so it, it's similar, but it's different. It, it's a real race. Um, just, just the, the, the last couple of prep steps you take are a little bit different. Corey, talk us through kind of the, the race process for a remote race, you know, just from, from the very beginning when you register to getting that sweet, sweet medal on the back end. Yeah, sure. So the first thing, uh, that you need to know is what you need to race. And so one of the things, so just like in a real triathlon, you know, you're going to need a bike. Uh, although I do know a guy that signed up for an Ironman before he even owned a bike, but generally, uh, you know what you need before racing or, you know what you have. So for remote racing, you can have different, uh, devices to record with, or we, we have the ability for you to just manually input your times as well. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but so know what you have. So then you need to register, uh, which is just like registering for any other race, uh, with one extra step. That extra step is to essentially finalize your registration by going to your RaceX, which is at app.myracex.com, uh, making sure that that race is added to your calendar. Uh, RaceX is the platform uh, we use. It will parse your race data before and after the race. Uh, it shares some of the algorithms that power the remote racing platform. Uh, if you already have a RaceX account, you'll be able to go and find those remote races under uh, the Browse Races tab add it uh, and it will prompt you to just confirm that you've paid for the race or and then you can add it to your calendar it's a pretty smooth uh, process if you're brand new to racex um, when you go through registration uh, racex will look for that registration and add that race automatically for you yeah and i i corey i just want to add i mean it's that part of the process for me was identical to registering for for an in-person race um so so nothing new there i i do want to say for people um there, there is a price tag um, the price tag is not nearly as high as it would be for an in-person race. And that's, I mean, when you're paying for an in-person race, you know, they're, the race itself is paying for the venue. They're paying to close down streets. They're paying for, you know, police officer support to, uh, to, to manage intersections and, and whatnot to keep you safe and then ensure you have a good race. They're paying for all of the hydration, nutrition that's going to be on course. Um, and, and for this, there isn't any of that. So, so there is a price tag. Um, it's, it's not a very high price tag. Uh, but, but the price tag is there because it is a real race. Um, you, you are competing against other, other people that have also paid for the race. Uh, and, and you do get all of the, the finisher swag on the back end. Um, and, and, and Corey, I know you, you from our team, you were the first one to get that medal in the mail and, and you posted it to our internal Microsoft teams account. Uh, you know, look what arrived in the mail. And ever since you did that, I checked the mail every single day waiting on my stupid medal. Uh, and it took three days longer for me to get mine. Uh, and I was just so excited to get it. And it's, it's such a, such a delayed gratification, right? Because it's like, yeah. oh man, I did this race months ago and yes, here's the medal. It's because so, uh, you were, so, so it's, you it's were cool three experience. places behind him. So you got your medal three days <laughs> later. <laughs> Touche USA triathlon. Touche. So, um, so Corey, after we, we register, we, we get it plugged into our RaceX account. You know, uh, if we don't have a RaceX account, our RaceX account gets created, uh, and our, and our race is there. We're ready to rock and roll. What happens from there? Yeah, so the the next and probably most important step is to connect your devices that you're going to use to record for the race. So if you're going to use Garmin, Polar, Ruby, Trainer Road, Map My Ride, Wahoo, we're also adding other connections uh, actively. So we're just whatever you're going to be using to race with, uh, get that connected. And then I definitely say do that before race day. It'd be great to see that. Uh, you do a couple training sessions with those connections so you can see it in the training history tab in RaceX too, just to confirm that you see uh, what you expect uh, so that you know what it's going to look like as you race. So devices connected after you've registered, 
then it's just like when you show up to a race, uh, you need to show your ID card or your USA triathlon card or whatever. When you pick up your packet, we need you to verify your identity. So verify your identity so that we know who you, that you are, who you say you are. So in RaceX, uh, then you'll be able to check your race plan, uh, which is where you have your pacing strategy. And that's based off of the thresholds that you have set in your account. So either during sign up or you've got it in, in RaceX already, uh, it's going to, um, have those set for you uh, and optimized for your current abilities. You can always adjust those to the specific uh, levels you want. So if you want to go super hard on race day on the bike and just see what you can do on the run, you can adjust that as well for your pacing strategy. So then you can swim anytime during the race window, uh, as long as it's before your bike and run. First swim, when it comes into us during that race window, if it fits the criteria of the race, so if it's an Olympic, if it's the right distance, that's the swim we're going to use for your race. Um, then anytime after the swim, you can choose to do your bike run. So on the bike run race day, you need to verify your weight. Uh, and so you do that right from your race plan page in RaceX. Uh, it's a very simple process, like Andrew said, uh, and there's plenty of documentation on how to do that. And you should be getting emails as well once you've registered for how to follow that process. So get your weight verified and then it's right onto the bike. So once you've completed the bike, you have your 10 minute window to get onto your run. Once that's completed, um, just make sure that those activities are synced in your training history and the results will be processing behind the scenes and you'll start uh, anxiously awaiting the final results. And once those are published, you can uh, brag to your friends if you beat them by a little over three minutes. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> th th three minutes and 28 seconds by, to be exact. Oh, but who's counting, right? <laughs> <laughs> what I think is really cool, and and kind of as a as a coach who, who who encouraged you know my athletes to to participate in virtual races, you know when they first came out it was COVID all these things, um, you know I kind of mentioned earlier like not everyone could do that you had to have the nicest gear you had to have this specific platform you had to pay for that subscription you know things like that um, you know a lot of my athletes had had to had to borrow smart trainers from people in their local area, um, and stuff like that. But, but I, I love what you, what you're referring to there. And a lot of this Corey is that now with remote racing, uh, anybody can participate with any type of gear. You don't even, you don't have to have power. You don't have to have a smart trainer even. And I know you're going to, you know, talk more about that, but anyone can participate now. And, and now that everything is on a level playing field, you know, I, I can race, you know, Elizabeth James. And, and you can, and you can lose to Elizabeth James now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I edge her out, uh, in, in person, um, the, the equalization will, will, will most likely, and, and I'm sure she, she would move up the rankings and surpass me easily. <laughs> yeah. So just to reiterate, I mean, that's, there's a lot that it sounds like that I talked about for signing up, but, uh, I just kind of made up an acronym for it. Uh, racer where R is register. Ooh. A is add the race, uh, verify Ooh. your ID. C, connect devices. Ooh. E, edit, examine your race plan. Ooh. Ooh. And then R, race. So remote race competitors will be broken up into three performance tiers. Uh, and this is 100% the answer to having each race be totally fair from a technology standpoint, but totally accessible to any athlete, regardless of what sensors and equipment they have. Corey, break down the three performance tiers for us. And what are these tiers for? And who is placed in each one. Okay, so there's three performance tiers, and these are going to be broken down for all three disciplines based off of your uh, projected performance, and that's going to be based off of your equalized FTP. So the higher equalized FTP, the higher the group you're going to be in, and those cutoffs are going to vary for dis per discipline as well, um, and, and we'll be able to identify that based off of the FTP, and you'll see that when you get into your race plan. One other thing that we didn't talk about is swim verification. Uh, there is an extra level of scrutiny scrutiny there. Uh, for for group one, we're going to just ask that those top level athletes per perform some sort of video verification of the first part of their swim. Okay. Uh, that way we can just verify that at that pace that they're submitting to us, they're not swimming with a wetsuit or fins. Uh, or a jetpack in whatever they're <laughs> using in the water to make them go super fast. Um, so just, yeah, exactly like what you said, it's more of a uh, peace of mind for 
other group one, group two athletes that they're being fairly compared to the rest of the field and, and somebody's not cheating and bumping up to a different level uh, um, without any sort of verification. I think this is the takeaway I want to leave people with before we move on from this question. If you're registering for a remote race and you have a legitimate chance at, at being on the podium of winning the race, um, the, the, the performance tiers are in place to make sure that those folks ha- have the, the highest level of, of gear to make sure that, that the, the data is accurate and they have to do those, those steps like the weigh-in, like the swim video, um, to make sure that, that the way they're executing is, is real and fair because they actually have a chance of winning. And we want to make sure that, that those folks are, are really racing each other on a real, real fair level playing field. And then everybody else, I mean, I, I, I am not a threat. When my data gets punched into remote racing, I am not a threat to win the race. Uh, I, I'm just not. And so I can happily go in and participate and not have to not have to figure out how to video my swim and not have to figure out how to how to video my weigh-in. And I can I can race against Corey and we can not do all those steps because we're not going to win the race. And I can play seventh, you can place fourth, and that's all well and good, and we can have a good time. But for people who have a shot at winning, uh, they just have to go through those extra steps to make sure that that um, the, the the top level performers are uh, competing on a level playing field, just like they would be at a real in person race. Is that kind of a good way to put it? Yeah, and I mean, even for 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 you and I, we uh, we may be invited in RaceX to be in that tier. It may it may put us in that tier, and it's it's not difficult to do those extra things. Yeah, very true. Uh, so being able to just add that uh, that quick check, quick validation, uh, like you said, the way in was super easy, uh, less than a minute, I think you did. Uh, so that sort of thing is not hard and uh, makes it fair. Yeah, so anybody can compete, anybody can jump in and have fun. Uh, just the performance tiers are in place to make sure that the winners are really the winners uh, and, and everybody else, um, you know, you're, you're gonna get ranked uh, accordingly. So. Um, all right, let's get to the fun stuff here. Let's talk about actually doing your remote race. You, you've signed up, you've done the prep, you're ready to rock and roll. Let's go through just, just kind of swim, bike, run, transitions, and, and just share all the practical execution advice that you have for our athletes. Um, so, so guys, what do folks need to know to go out and execute their remote race swim? You know, another really cool aspect about remote racing is that you you have a window. You might be might, might be four days, it might be ten days, um, but but you have a window to get your swim, bike, and run completed. Um, and so, if 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 you've got the sniffles one day, maybe you want to wait four or five days to start your remote race. Um, you know, just stuff like that. So so there's not a, a definitive, you know, seven a.m. swim start on this day at this sunrise, no matter what the weather is outside. So that's kind of a bonus um, of, of of even on site racing. Um, but even inside of that, um, our swim, we don't have to get right out of the pool and run to the bike. Um, we just have to get that swim done, and it can be days later before we start the bike and run. Now we know that that run has to start within 10 minutes off the bike, but the swim doesn't. Um, so, so what we need to know about the swim is that you just need to focus on that day, executing that swim and pacing it well, but definitely make sure your watch is set for the correct size pool, you know, being yards Mm, or meters, um, maybe it's short course or long course, you know, just like our swim assessments in, in TriDot, this, this all matters, you know, short course, 25 yards, yards are shorter than meters. Um, but you also get more push pushes off the wall than long course pools and all that goes into effect when when equalizing the results and so we want to make sure that we know uh the the size pool uh we know how many laps we need to complete um and then obviously if if you if you're in contention for for uh winning you you need to know uh how you're going to have that first portion it might be your first three or four minutes or something like that um but you're going to have to record or film uh, a portion of your swim uh, for the verification and fairness aspect. So, so you might have a buddy come with you. You want to make sure that the pool's not going to close in 30 minutes, but setting all this up, you know, you run out of time. So just, just logistics, you know, really make sure that you have that lane to yourself. Maybe make sure that you're not going to have, you know, a random stranger hop into the lane with you in the middle of your race and you have to start over stuff like that. Um, and if you really want to nerd out like, like I do with my athletes, um, you know, I tell them to, to, to pick a deeper pool 
to race in if possible. If, if you have access to multiple pools in your area, pick a deeper pool and also pick a pool that may have more of like an endless pool gutter system because those types of pools are faster. Um, so deeper, ah, you're faster in deeper pools. Nice. Uh, you know, the water's not going to bounce off the wall um, and, and create that, that, that drag. You know, it's going to go into the gutter. And so, so just little little technical aspects of, of the sport and, and of remote, remote racing that we don't think about. Uh, we can nerd out really deep if, if you really want to, to shave an extra 10 <laughs> seconds or so. There's really always deep. those technical aspects of the sport, right? For sure. Yeah. And, uh, I do love me some flip turns. Um, one other thing I'd like to add there is let your lifeguard know, uh, had I swam on the Friday instead of the Monday, uh, that I did my remote race, uh, halfway through my training session that day, the lifeguard pulled everybody out of the pool cause they Ooh. had to go to the restroom. Oh, uh, so, nice. uh, just give them a heads up that you're going to be doing 1500, uh, nonstop. Please let me finish. Uh, cause it's for a race um, <laughs> and, and maybe even hit them up to see if they could record your first couple minutes or just make sure it's okay with them too. Cause I know some facilities don't allow yeah. recording video recording. So, um, uh, if that's the case, uh, try to work it in on a time when there's nobody there and they're allowing it or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, just another thing as far as strategy, for me, the remote race, I wanted to go out really hard that first hundred or so. Um, just like, the beginning of a real in-person race uh, to get out of the way, get into settle into a groove after that. So actually I have a question for you, Corey um, heads up an unscripted question here. Um, so actually back when we did the Ironman uh, VR races to, to, you know, be in contention for a world championship slot, we had to complete an exact distance. And so if we were in a yard versus a meters pool, um, you know, meters are longer than yards. So we swam considerably further than 1500, let's just say if, you know, yards. Um, so, so I, I might've done an extra 25, um, than, than, than other people to, to, so my watch could record those 25 yard segments. Um, so, so my question here is this, if, if someone reports 1500 meters and someone else reports 1500 yards, uh, we convert the yards into the meters. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. Uh, that is the beauty of the technology is it's basically a unitless swim. Uh, you can run swim 1500 yards or meters. And if it's short course or long course, we will detect that from your device as it is reported to us. And we're able to account for the extra flip turns of short course. Interesting. And the difference in the distance. Uh, and, and we project that onto that on-site Olympic distance swim. And that is how we can make it fair. So the bike and run are done in conjunction with each other. It's almost like your remote race is, is done in two separate workout sessions, the swimming and the bike and the run. Um, so, so, you know, you, you get up, up to a 10 minute transition in between the bike and run. But unlike the swim, um, you know, they have to be done the same day. Um, it's based at the same location. Uh, Corey, Jeff, what are the best practices for having a great remote race bike split? So I guess first thing to mention is to make sure you've done your weight verification if that's necessary for your, your performance tier. Uh, and, and then if you're up for a, a bike warm up, uh, I normally skip those, uh, probably shouldn't, but I do, uh, <laughs> me too, Corey, uh, me do, too. do a quick quick bike warm up, uh, and, and do that before you start recording for your race. It'd just be easier, um, to, for us to parse the data if, if you don't have that in the same file okay. and then just start, start recording your race. Um, it, so, I mean, I guess if you're using Ruby, you're, you're probably not going to ride the course twice. So just warm up on your own and then pop onto the course. If you're doing it outdoors, do your quick warm up and then start recording when you're doing your actual race effort. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, for, for that weigh-in process, you, you have to film yourself, uh, and those instructions are all provided for you, but within three hours of the start of, of your bike race, is that correct? Was, is, is it three hours? Yeah, it's uh, four hours. It, it was three hours, um, but we've widened that out to four hours uh, for, for that <clears throat> bike verification wait. Uh, it just gives you a little time uh, to to get that verified if you have to travel somewhere for where your bike is actually going to be um, separate from your way in location. 
Yeah, and just just like an on-site race, you know, setting up your transition ahead of time and, and you know having a plan is key. Um, you're gonna you know obviously watch the weather, you know, have a plan uh, to race indoors, and how will you collect that data? You know, what, what what's great is if it's hot or cold, you know, if the route is hilly or flat, or if maybe you ride you know indoors on a Zwift or a Ruby, or maybe you want to do this race you know out in your neighborhood, you know, using GPS or, or power outdoors. The good thing is it's all going to be normalized to a baseline and then it's going to be that data is going to be localized to the designated race, you know, for that specific week or that race. So your data, right, Corey, it's 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 normalized down first to to, to kind of make it an an evil, even evil, uh, evil playing field. Um, But then it's localized (laughs) to the specific race course that we have planned ahead of time. And then once, you know, your results are, are kind of thrown out onto that course so, so you can see how you would do at your indoor at home, let's say, effort, how you would do if you were outside on that actual course. And then even inside of all that, um, it's then equalized based on, on age and gender. Is that kind of the, the step-by-step uh, layer process maybe? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good high-level summary of it for sure. And, and I think, yeah, the, the point there is, yeah, you can just, you go all out with where you're at and it'll it'll apply to the remote race uh, with that localization and equalization after the fact. So, so Corey, for the bike, I mean, somebody completing their bike, there's a couple different options and we've, we've alluded to a few. I mean, you can go outside and you can ride a course where, wherever you want to ride outdoors. Um, you know, I've already talked about where I choose to ride here in Dallas-Fort Worth because it's a great place to time, time trial. You know, people might have close to their house their, their favorite place to go time trial in mind. Uh, but people can also do, do it indoors on their trainer. They can fire up Zwift. They can fire up Ruby and see the actual course in front of them. They, they, they can uh, fire up, uh, you know, trainer road. But I mean, I mean, any of those platforms are, are totally fair game just as long as you're recording the power numbers. Uh, are, are, are those essentially the couple options we have for executing our bike? Yeah, the, uh, especially with power meter. Yeah, you can ride anywhere, okay. right? Indoors, outdoors. Uh, you don't even need, like you could just be staring at the wall on your trainer and recording for, uh, so one thing you can do there is look at your race plan in RaceX. And if you just execute for the number of minutes that we have uh, prescribed based off of your FTP, uh, then we're going to be able to uh, process your results in the same way as if you rode a virtual course. Okay. Um, so those are the options. And then also if you just have GPS and don't have power, uh, you're not going to be in the top group uh, of the performance verification groups, uh, but you're able to ride with just GPS. Um, and even if you don't have just GPS and you've mapped out a 20K course, go from your garage out and back, time it, and you can do a manual submission uh, and be in group three. Okay, very very cool. And so for, because I, I know there's going to be somebody out there, so I want to make sure I ask it, um, based off of what you just said, if I don't have a power meter and I have a dumb trainer and I have my dumb trainer connected to Ruby with, with maybe a, a, a cadence sensor or, or some other type of sensor that is telling Ruby how, how I'm doing, um, how, how does that work for somebody? Can you do the race indoors without a power meter uh, in that kind of a scenario? So oftentimes, if you don't have a power meter and you've got a dumb trainer, platforms like Ruby or Swift can use a speed and cadence sensor to give you virtual power. Yeah. In that case, we will notice the virtual power and assign it a uh, high percentage of uh, error okay. for the power okay. that comes in, and and that would be acceptable. Generally, though, a dumb trainer, we prefer to have power uh, coming f- from that file. Okay. Uh, if, if not, the speed and distance is not very reliable okay uh, so outdoors would be preferred if you don't have okay got it no super helpful um so just like an in-person race you know we hop off the bike we throw on our running shoes and we take off what do we need to know about the remote race run it's indeed a little bit unique you you have a, a 10 minute transition allowance i encourage my athletes to take the majority of that 10 minute stretch uh, stretch to stretch or rest, you know, as much as possible. Um, it's a unique opportunity. Um, 
So, so maybe if taking nine and a half minutes instead of one to two minutes is going to allow you to run a little bit better that first mile, then let's take advantage of that because we all know that pacing off the bike is just weird in general. You know, we have yellow legs, you know, it feels like we're running heavy legs or we're running through sand, right? That first mile off the bike. But what happens and, and, you know, you guys back me up on this. I mean, you know, typically what you see, you feel like you're running slow. You feel like you're running a 15 minute mile, that first mile off the bike, even in a sprint try. But that first mile is typically always faster than actually what we, we, we think we, we have done or what we probably should have done. Uh, so even though we feel slow, we're actually running faster than we think we are. And so taking a few extra minutes in, in that transition could negate a lot of that. And, and you actually could pace better that first mile. So, so just definitely have a plan and, and maybe even, you know, practice it. We, we know that remote, remote race is maybe coming up in a month or so. And so in just our daily training, maybe we're just going to kind of play around with it. Let's get off that indoor bike ride. Let's kind of time it. Maybe change clothes, put your running shoes on, stand outside, go out to your mailbox. Okay, now my watch has acquired satellites. I'm going to do some leg swings. Okay, that was six minutes. Well, great. You know, and so, so you can kind of play around with some of this in your daily training to be more prepared for that actual remote race. Yeah, that's a great point, Jeff. And I do want to distinguish for folks, um, 10 minutes was chosen as the transition time because it is, it is long enough to allow folks to get into a, a good, safe, measurable environment for that run coming off the bike. And so like you described, Jeff, if you just live somewhere where it's better to hop in the car and and go a short distance, so be it. Uh, if you, um, are, are, um, like, like Corey mentioned for his inaugural remote race, if you're in an environment where you're, you're doing the, the, bike ride indoors in a controlled environment you've got to out you've got to go outside for your run and it's 20 degrees okay 10 minutes gives you enough time to to get off the bike to layer up properly for your run um but on the flip side 10 minutes isn't so far it's not so long that you have time to adequately recover uh i mean you you can take the full 10 minutes and start your run and and yes you're more recovered than you would be if you started that run within one minute or two minutes or three minutes but it's not such a dramatic difference that that you definitely don't have fresh legs. I, I, t- I took all 10 of my minutes, um, at Texas motor speedway. Um, just, just, just by, you know, you know, you know, refueling, throwing the bike in the car, locking the car, you know, just, just gear turnaround. Uh, and I, I felt like I was running off the bike. I, I did not feel like I was running off a fresh leg. So, so it's long enough to give you time to do what you need to do to have a, a, a successful and safe run, but it's not so long that you truly get to rest. Uh, but to your point, Jeff, uh, you know, you, you use that time uh, because you're not being timed. That that time is not your transition time. Um, so, so Corey, how how is our transition time measured? Because for our T1 and our T2, we're we're given a time, uh, but but it's not necessarily the, the the time that it took us to transition from bike to run. So, so how are those two times calculated? Yeah, that's a great question. So, the transition times are directly proportional to the how well you perform on the run. Okay. Uh, because in traditional triathlons, it, you're running through transition. Now, um, to make it as fair as possible, we had to come up with some sort of algorithm to to make that transition fair. And to do that, we based it off of the performance that you do on that run. And then those transitions are split between the actual on-site event for, for for example, for the for the remote nationals, it was based off of the window of actual uh, remote national transition times. Okay. So the highest performers in the run got the fastest of those, versus uh, the the lower performers got the slower ones, and and they were just proportionally, um, more or less proportionally uh, calculated. So Corey, what are what are your kind of uh, thoughts for for just uh, how to have a good remote race run? Yeah. Well, uh, coming off the bike indoors uh even with a fan going full blast pretty sweaty after uh, <laughs> after a 40k ride um so i uh i made a point to towel all the way off um you know you don't normally get the chance to do that in a in a on-site race but hopping into the cold weather i toweled all the way off and then yeah had it set out in order of how i wanted to put the layers on and as soon as i got my gloves and and my buff on my ears i was up outside the garage getting the uh getting my watch ready to get the gps and ready to go so yeah just to have a plan uh ahead of time and like like jeff said know the weather know the course and 
enjoy your 10 minutes. Yeah. So something I'll add is, um, for people like me who aren't super type a on having all their devices charged all the time. I mean, it's, it's, uh, not uncommon for me to, you know, drive down the road for my outdoor bike ride and to get there and put my heart rate monitor on and fire up my heart rate monitor and realize that it has a low battery. Um, you know, I, I was very intentional knowing that all of that data coming in was important for the remote race and having, uh, you know, my bike computer, my watch, my heart rate monitor, my stride running power meter. I had all those devices fully charged and ready to go. So there will always be a multi-day window athletes are given to complete their race. Jeff, you mentioned this earlier for, for the USA triathlon event that, that we all completed. Um, you know, I did my race pretty early in the window. That race had a 10 day window. I know for some races uh, coming up, it, there will be like a four day, almost like a long weekend style window. So, uh, you know, it, it will be different race by race. Um, and, and within that 10 day window, I, I did mine the weekend, uh, on the front side of the window. And, and so, um, I, I completed my race that, that weekend I swam on Friday. I did the bike and run on Saturday. Uh, and I gotta say it, it was addicting refreshing the results page, you know, you know, once, once a day or, or so just to see where I was in the standings. So other people completed their race. It, it was really kind of fun, uh, to do, to, to check in the morning. Okay. Did anybody complete their race yesterday and knock me back or, or, or whatnot? Um, so, so Corey, tell me about the, the results and what happens on the backside of a race. Yeah. So from the moment we receive the files for your race, uh, we're going to check to make sure it's a valid race file, like I've mentioned before. So we're check if the distance is correct within the tolerance. Uh, so yeah, if you swim an extra 50 yards, we're still going to count it. Um, but we're going to know it's a race file and it, and then we look to see if it's a reasonable time for that effort. So if you ran a 5k in 10 minutes, we're going to say, sorry, uh, that's, that's, that's not real. Um, you drove that or something, you know, uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> or you should go to the Olympics, uh, and set a new world record. So, uh, and then we also make sure that the run started after the bike, which they both have to start after the swim. And so then once that happens and we identify it, that it is a race file, uh, the post-processing starts and that's, we've, we've already talked to it. Some Jeff mentioned it at, at a, at a good high level. So we're going to, we're going to normalize for your environment and make adjustments based off of accuracy of your power meters. Uh, and then what group you might be racing in is also, uh, verified and validated. Uh, we're also then now projecting that race data onto the race course, like you said. So, for example, the Las Vegas course. So you're going to go from Texas Motorways, Motor Speedway to Las Vegas uh, and, and then localizing those results. We then equalize based off of uh, age and gender. So we've got the localized results and the equalized results. Uh, so those are both things that you can see. Um, there's other things going on. Uh, so we're going to group by teams. If there's teams for that particular race, that sort of thing. Um, so all that stuff happens after the race. So Corey, when we were done with our remote race, uh, it was actually, it was really cool. We, we were literally at the track at Texas motor speedway. We all had our phones up and, and you get an email from remote racing, letting you know that, that your data file is there. It's like, congrats on completing the bike. Congrats on completing the run. Congrats on completing the swim. So, so as you were completing each leg that that was triggering, uh, and that really was the only way I, I, could for sure know, okay, I just completed it. Remote race has seen that file. Uh, and I know some people, if, if they didn't catch that email that, that they were like, you know, did I do it right? Did remote racing get, get my, get my split. So, so what, what, what can we do to know that we executed it correctly and that remote racing has the files and, and we're all good to go? Yeah. So those emails are, are huge for sure. Um, yeah, sometimes they get caught in spam or you don't see them. So, so then, yeah, we did get several questions like that. Uh, but we also have a training history page in RaceX. So alongside of where you went to go view your race plan, you'll be able to see all of the files that we've received. And so you can see, oh, hey, that was my bike for that day, and that was the right distance. Um, and we're actually enhancing that so that we, we hope to be able to just show you that that one has will put some sort of indicator that it's been used for the race results as well. Um, so uh, that's definitely something that we did notice that some folks were having um, concerns with knowing if their files were accepted and would definitely make it more clear. And the emails are a very important thing there. And we hope to almost over communicate and just yeah. make sure that you know uh, that 
that your race results are being processed. So, so Corey, as a software engineer that, that helped develop remote racing uh, and as a triathlete using it yourself, I mean, you are uniquely positioned to, to arguably be the most knowledgeable person when it comes to troubleshooting your remote race experience. So, so I know you helped answer a lot of folks' questions um, already just to help make sure everyone tech savvy or not had a good experience. Um, you know, what were some of the most frequently asked questions that athletes have had so far? And, and what are the answers to them? Just, just so as we go into this, this preseason, uh, remote racing series coming up, uh, you know, we, we, we can kind of already have that, that, that FAQ Q and a right here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And we've actually already covered some of them. Uh, like one of the most commonly one, uh, asked questions, why is my time different than what my watch showed? Um, and, and that's pretty easy to answer. Um, but it's also hardest to kind of accept uh -huh. when you're so used <laughs> to seeing uh, times and power and things uh, right in front of you. Um, but like I said, the biggest one is usually on the bike and it's mostly uh, because of our very generic remote racing bike. So it's not the top end bike that we've modeled it after. It's modeled after a pretty mid pack uh, bike uh, with just regular box rim wheels, uh, and, and your standard sort of aero road helmet, not okay. like the tightest position you can get. Uh, so, um, so that's going to change your time somewhat there. Um, and also, uh, if you have a semi hilly course that we're running on, that's going to change when we localize to that, it's going to change your time. Uh, or if it was a humid day, it's going to change your time that we're like, if we're localizing to August in Milwaukee, it could be a lot more humid than 40 degrees and not humid outside in, in a morning in Dallas or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's one of the main questions. Yeah, so it, why is my time different? Yeah. And Corey, for yeah. me, the, the main difference, cause you're right. Like I know all this is happening. I know exactly. I know the technology, I know how it works. And, and, and even still like knowing why it's happening. Like I, I got done. I was so happy with, I, I ran a 43 minute 10 K like 43 minutes on the dot. And like, I was, it, it was like, like right as my, my watch clicked over to 43 minutes, I hit 6.2 and, and, and I was done. And I was, I was very, especially having trained for Ironman and not doing a ton of speed work. Like I was very happy with that time. Uh, and then, uh, so I just pulled up the results to see the exact, um, kind of tweaked time, you know, the, the calculated time. And so for the Milwaukee course, for that 10 K course, it gave me a 4354. So that's 54 minutes slower. But, but after being present in the moment and knowing, Oh, I ran and I ran that 10 K in 43 minutes. Like, like I saw that 4354, it's only 54 seconds slower. And I was like, dang it. Like, man, it, like, it, it's, it's like psychologically it does do something to you, but, but you have to know, like your, your time changing is all just part of the, the result being calculated to a, a totally fair level playing field race, uh, done on the same race course. That's unfortunately one of the things that we get a lot of questions of, but it, it is just, it's the same for everybody. It's going to, we're, we're changing and localizing to that environment. Uh, another question is, did my file load? And so, yeah, we just talked about that yeah. too, right? Uh, and we're, we're building that we're building upon that. Like I said, uh, building a new or adding to the user interface, going to look at your training history in RaceX so you can see that you've got a file that's loaded for that swim, for that bike, for that run. And uh, so along with that question is also, why didn't my race data show up? So that can sometimes happen uh, if somebody's race data doesn't particularly match the rules exactly as they've been laid out. So if you run a 5K, but you finish... Uh, you're 3.11 miles, two miles away from where you started, then that is not within the tolerance of the rules. Uh, so we're going to, you might've run a 5k, but it doesn't match the criteria. So we don't detect it. Um, so that's another thing. So make sure that you're reading the rules, following those, and it's going to make it a lot easier to see your files have loaded and have been accepted. Um, there's all sorts of uh, smaller questions that are mostly one-off and not that are really big FAQs. Uh, they're more specific to a specific user or runner or uh, biker. <clears throat> um, but yeah, lots of good feedback and questions that folks provide us. And the more 
that we get it makes us think critically of how we can improve the user experience and and make the race even more seamless uh and and feel great for for everybody so jeff you obviously have a good amount of experience uh doing on-course racing uh and i know through ironman's virtual racing series which you mentioned you know you, you also have a large amount of virtual race experience as well so now that there is remote racing to kind of bridge that gap and, and have have there be you know, races that are not in person, but are real and are fair, you know, what wisdom do you have uh, for, for our athletes listening today, j- just for entering that swim, that bike, that run in the right headspace? Because it is different. And oftentimes you're by yourself or you're with a group, but you're still racing. So, so what's your advice for entering the right headspace to put forth our best race day effort? So I think that the, the incentive to, to push hard and try hard when, when you're at home by yourself is, is a whole other level because we, we mentioned earlier, you're not just racing your, your own gender or your own five-year age group anymore. You're racing everyone. That's a great point. So, so I would definitely uh, give it all you got, you know, and just know that every second matters. Corey, as the Olympic distance defending fourth place finisher, anything to add there to what Jeff just said? Yeah, I mean, that covers a lot of it. Uh, I'd just like to say show up like it was in person. Maybe have, if you're doing it with a friend, a little friendly uh, banter beforehand uh, so you can race for bragging rights. It's pretty fun, too. (laughs) Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. After a full hour plus of listening to Corey Gackenheimer and Coach Jeff Raines talk about remote racing, invite us into remote racing, give us everything we need to know to dominate our next remote race. Uh, I wanted to close the show today just by bringing on BJ Leeper. Now, BJ is on staff as our Director of Sports Performance, and one of the things that BJ oversees is the the remote racing series coming up. Uh, He and his team have been working very, very hard to make sure that all of us athletes have a wonderful opportunity to have just a really cool preseason remote racing series and so we, we referenced it a little earlier in the podcast three really cool really unique races coming up one in march one in april one in may and i just wanted bj to come on and and give us the update you know what are these races about what are they going to be like so bj just kind of give us the uh 411 here what's the info what do we need to know and and why uh should we take this preseason remote racing series and jump in and and get our race season started uh here uh th- this spring of 2022 yeah, Andrew, we're really excited about this preseason remote racing series. I think that like many of us, we kind of get the the blahs this time of year with winter training. We're kind of in that rut of, of just being relegated to the trainer. And we just need something to look forward to just with this upcoming um, triathlon series. And, and I think this will do exactly that. It will kind of get the competitive juices flowing. We've got, like you mentioned, three really exciting races in the Vegas Remote Triathlon and the Malibu and the Moab Remote Triathlon. And and like you said, the Vegas will be coming up here this week. We've got the last day to register will be Wednesday at midnight Pacific time. Um, so, so yeah, the, the race window runs through uh, Thursday through Sunday. So you can complete your race within that, that window. And then the results will, will come out after that shortly. But uh, yeah, we've we've got very unique courses. We've partnered with Ruby to to film these courses. So if you if you're using the Ruby platform, you've got a unique opportunity to ride certain stretches of the country where naturally you wouldn't be able to ride um, or race a normal triathlon. So we've got the Vegas Strip, the Vegas Strip lit up at night coming up uh, this week, and then we've got. Uh, the ability to ride in Malibu along the Pacific Coast Highway, um, some really unique um, scenic places there that you'll be able to see on Ruby. And then, like you mentioned, in Moab, Arches National Park. So if you haven't experienced remote racing, um, you know, I, I participated in our USA Triathlon Remote National Championships a while back. And it's it's just a different level when you know there's others out there doing the same type of racing effort and you know that the results are actually going to be comparable. It doesn't compare to on-site racing completely. You know, there's nothing that will replace that. But the next best thing that we feel like we've got here with remote racing is is exactly what we're putting on. So um, it's something, if you haven't tried it, you just got to get out there and experience it. Um, it's just very unique. And we, again, have worked really hard to make the results comparable and fair 
So it actually means something. So it, it just gets those competitive juices flowing for you right before your actual race season starts. So now BJ, if somebody is listening to this episode and it's the year 2026 and this preseason, uh, uh, you know, remote racing series has, has come and gone, um, they can go to remoteracing.com, right? Is, is that the, the best place for them to, to do that and to kind of get intel on the upcoming race options? Yeah, absolutely. Remoteracing.com. We've got a full slate coming up for, for this year, but uh, foreseeably into the future, I think we'll continue to see more races added to the calendar. We've got some exciting partnerships coming up with a Challenge that we're going to be putting on, some Challenge remote races that will coincide with their actual on-site races. Um, we've got cool. a lot of different options. So again, for for this preseason remote racing series, um, our first two are, are sprint distances. The last one, there's an option for sprint and Olympic distance. But uh, yeah, we, we, we think this is something that's going to stick around for years to come. So we're really excited about it. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank Corey Gackenheimer and Jeff Rains for talking about remote racing with us today. Huge thanks to Delta G for partnering with us on this episode. To learn more about the performance-boosting benefits of Delta G Ketones, head to deltagketones.com and use code TRYOUT20 for 20% off your order. Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Head to tryout.com slash podcast and click on Leave Us a Voicemail to get your voice on the show asking your question. We have a new show coming your way very soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.